0: Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day to all of you. Good to see you. It is good to see you. Amen. Praise God. How many of you brought your dad to church? Good. Good, good, good. If you're a father, I want you to stand. We want to acknowledge you. Amen. Please continue to stand. Let's give these guys a round of applause. Amen. Man, I want to salute all of you. Amen, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Our young people, you guys can come. They have something for you that we want to honor. All of the fathers, come on young people. They're coming. Socks. No, it's a bow tie. Scott, Scott, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Scott's got dad jokes today. Dad jokes are the best jokes. Only jokes better than dad jokes are preacher jokes. Fathers, we are grateful for you, thankful for you. Amen. Salute these men. And I know you guys have been faithful to the house of the Lord faithful to bring your kids to church. And that is, it says a lot in this day and age, amen? Brother Forrest was telling me that his dad was born 1893, is that correct? 1893. His dad was born in 1893. Can you imagine that? That's pretty incredible, amen. So men, we want you to come back. Come back Saturday, this coming Saturday. We're gonna have our first monthly men's breakfast. We're kicking off something new next month, or this month, and we're going to have breakfast. We got bacon, eggs, all kinds of stuff, fruit, donuts. We're going to have the, the spread for you guys. How many of you have registered? All right, three hands. So the rest of you men, go online, not right now, but go online this week and register. That will help us know how big of a breakfast to cook. All right, and I, I want to read a verse. This is, uh, has nothing to do with my message, but this is the verse for our men's group, all right? This is 1 uh, Chronicles chapter 12, verse 8. Listen to that. It says, listen to this. It says, some of the Gadites joined David at the stronghold in the wilderness, mighty men of valor, men trained for battle, who could handle shield and spear, whose faces were like lions, And we're as swift as the gazelles on the mountains. That's a pretty awesome scripture. That's the kind of men we want. Amen? How many of you realize there's an assault on manhood? There is. There's also an assault on femininity. Femininity. I I don't know if I can say it, but there's an assault on it. (laughs) On womanhood. And fatherhood. Manhood. The enemy hates it. He wants God created with distinction and with purpose. Amen? Amen. And both roles, male and female, are vital, important, worthy, honorable, and they're worth defending and protecting and standing for. Amen? Amen? I believe in biblical manhood, biblical womanhood, Amen? Amen? And the enemy wants to destroy that. Kind of beginning to work on a, a, a sermon series about the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast. A lot of y'all are looking for some kind of microchip or some kind of... But before that mark ever gets under your skin, it's going to be in your mind. Amen. The enemy wants to mark your mind with a, with a way of thinking with a world view, and we need to wholeheartedly reject the lies of the enemy. Amen. Manhood is to be celebrated. Womanhood is to be celebrated. And no matter how hard the enemy tries to blur the lines, God's truth prevails. Amen. That's that's the truth. So men, join us Saturday morning. It's going to be a good time. We're going to encourage each other, and it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, so we're going to get back into our sermon series that we started last week about the unbroken line. What is the unbroken line? The unbroken line is the gospel going from generation to generation. The unbroken line is what we saw in Psalm 112 last week, that my seed shall be mighty and my generations will be blessed. The unbroken line is what we see in Genesis chapter 49 where Joseph uh, I'm sorry, Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph. Amen? And you look at the blessing that came over, fr- from those prophetic words that he spoke over his children. That's the unbroken line. The unbroken line is what we see in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. You remember 2 Tim 2-2? Paul says to Timothy, teach, Find faithful men and teach them the things that I have taught you so that they will in turn teach others. Four generations of discipleship. That's unbroken line right there in that one verse. So we're going to talk about today discipling the next generation. We talked last week about reaching the next generation, today we're going to talk about discipling the next generation. I want to go to Exodus chapter three, and we're going to look at the life of, of Moses today. Exodus chapter three verses one through three. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire from, amidst, from the midst of a bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed and Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush does not burn. This was not an unusual phenomenon, burning bushes in the desert. It happens spontaneous combustion because of the dryness of the bush, the heat of the desert, and it reaches a certain point where combustion just spontaneously takes place. Bushes commonly burn in the desert. There was something unique about this situation. The bush was on fire, but it was not burnt. I believe Moses sees something in this bush that makes him wonder, a bush on fire, but not burning. Moses was born in the land of Goshen, near uh, uh, the, the capital of Egypt, the, uh, the you follow the history, the, the, the Israelites went to Goshen because of the provision that God brought through Joseph. And they'd settled there, and in Goshen they become a mighty nation. And they become an, a, a threat to the Pharaoh. He views them as a, a threat, and so he he issues a command that All of the male children born should be killed. And we we know the story how Moses' mother puts Moses, when he's born, into a basket. Pharaoh's daughter finds him, and the the, the, the belief is that his name Moses comes from, uh, to be drawn out of water. That's where his name is taken from, and she finds this baby. She takes him, and recognizing even that he's, he's a Hebrew, and... As as God would direct, he makes a way for his mother, Moses' mother, her name was Jochebed, he makes a way for her to be able to go to Pharaoh's house where Moses would be raised and nurse him as an infant. She was, not only did God save her child, but gave her an opportunity to be with her child and to nurse her child and to watch him grow. This is the provision of God. God. Moses' father's name was Amram. He's lost in the history of the story. We don't know much about him other than that his name is Amram, and nothing much is said about him beyond that. Moses is raised in the house of Pharaoh. He lives a life of privilege. He's raised literally as one of the king's sons or grandsons and is raised in a life of privilege. He's educated in what was known as the Temple of the Sun. Temple of the Sun is the place where the, the sons of the kings of the Syro-Palestinian states uh, were, were sent to go to school. They were Egyptian schools. It was the greatest education that you could possibly get on planet Earth. Moses was probably educated in medicine, astronomy, mathematics, philosophy, architecture, warfare—you name it. He had the greatest education on planet Earth, being raised. In Pharaoh's house. In fact, I watched a documentary this week on the History Channel. It was actually on YouTube, but it was a History Channel documentary, doc- doc- documentary about Moses and the fact that he was a brilliant military st- 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 What is it with these words? Strategist, thank you. He was a brilliant military strategist, and he led Egypt to many military conquests and victories. Moses was a brilliant man. The book of Acts would say in the 7th chapter, the 22nd verse, that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Fast forward a few years when he would give God the excuse, why would you send me? I'm not a man of words or excellent speech. It was, it was an excuse. It was a cop-out because he was actually a brilliant man, very well-educated. Even the Word of God says he was a man who was learned in the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. So Moses was raised with the best of the best institutionally. But there's something missing in Moses. There's a void in this man, and a situation comes where Moses witnesses these Egyptian taskmasters abusing a Hebrew slave, and the anger on him gets a hold of him, and it pushes him to the point of murder. He murders these Egyptian taskmasters. Of course, because of this, he would flee to, to the wilderness, which is today modern day Saudi Arabia. And here, God would begin to do a work in Moses. This is where this encounter with Moses happens and takes place. It's at the burning bush while Moses is out tending sheep. He has this encounter, and he meets his heavenly father. God begins to do a work in Moses' life. Not only does he meet his heavenly father, God also gives Moses a natural father, an earthly father in Jethro. Jethro would become a father and a mentor to him. He would even mentor him into the days of the Exodus when he's leading the children of Israel through the wilderness. He would get counsel from his father-in-law, Jethro. He was disciple, I believe, by Jethro. God did a work in Moses' life and begin to shape him and prepare him so that he could go back and confront his father's house and say, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. See, I think that Moses saw something in that burning bush. He saw the, the fire that burned but didn't consume. The Bible talks about that. Man, he, he understood what it was to be consumed with his anger. Have you ever been consumed by anger? Do you know what it is to lose control of your emotions? Or maybe not anger, but greed or lust or jealousy. For your emotions to burn on the inside of you and consume you and get the best of you. Do you know it's not a sin to get angry? It's what you do in your anger that's sinful. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 and 27, it says, be angry and sin not let not the sun go down upon your wrath neither give place to the devil do you realize that when you get angry you're giving place to the devil if when you allow your anger to control you you're giving place to the enemy ephesians 4:27 says anger gives a foothold to the devil do you realize that when we allow our emotions to get away from us the enemy gets a foothold in our life. We need to be careful that our emotions don't consume us. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. New King James Version says it this way, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down and without walls. Do you know what it's like for your anger to get the best of you? For your emotions, for your for your lust, for your sinful nature to get the best of you. Moses knew what it was like to burn and be absolutely consumed with those emotions. But it took an encounter with a father who would give him an earthly father that would allow him to get a control over those emotions, that would mentor him and shape him and teach him how to be a man. I was working with, with one of my boys yesterday. Were, he was doing something that was challenging, repetitious and challenging, construction. We were working at the house. He got frustrated. He said, Dad, I can't do this. I could tell he was, he was frustrated. There's a guy in Kentucky who used to always say, "Frustrated." <laughs> Jensen was frustrated. And I said to him, Son, you can do it. Because you've got time and you've got patience. You know that your children have patience on the inside of them? They just need to learn how to draw it out. That's what fathers do. Good fathers teach us how to control our spirit. How to control? Not not to allow our emotions to get the best of us. Not to allow our, our 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 greed or envy or jealousy or anger or whatever it is that rises up on the inside of us get the best of us and cause us to harm ourselves. See Moses when he saw that burning bush, he saw something that he desired to happen on the inside of him. Do you know the Holy Ghost burns us, burns within us, but it doesn't consume us. It will not destroy us. It will not harm us. And do you know that the fruit of the Spirit, by the way, Wednesday night we'll be talking about the fruit of the Spirit on our devotional. But the fruit of the Spirit, the Bible tells us in in Galatians chapter 5, it tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So Moses, raised in the house of Pharaoh, had to go to the desert to meet his heavenly father. So he could get an earthly father in Jethro. So he could go back and confront his father's house. And you know what? God made Moses a father. You know, there was a time when Moses was was traveling and God, the Bible says, stood in front of him and withstood him and would have slayed him. Do you know what upset God to the point where he was ready to slay Moses? He had failed his paternal responsibility. He had failed to mentor his own sons. He had failed to take care of his spiritual responsibility in his own household. And it angered God to the point where he stopped him and was ready to slay him. And his own wife had to intercede and, and petition for him, for his own life to be spared. But God would turn Moses into a father. He would change him, and he would transform this man who grew up... Spiritually, I believe, and emotionally, without being fathered. Again, he was educated in the best schools on the planet. Medicine, philosophy, mathematics, science, engineering. He was, in, he was involved in the construction of those pyramids. Did you realize that? Think about that. Moses was fathered institutionally, But they failed to father him spiritually and emotionally. You know, we can do the exact same thing with our own children. You know, we can church our children and not disciple them. We can teach them to fill their pockets up with pennies and to sit on pews and how to look right and tie their little bow tie on Easter Sunday. But fail spiritually to father them, to teach them what it really means To be a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a difference in churching somebody and discipling them. There's a difference. one, One is teaching them the ways of man, and the other is teaching them the ways of God. There's a difference. Fathers, we have a responsibility to teach our children to follow Jesus, to be followers of Christ. The Psalm, the 127th Psalm, I love this. Let's read this together. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. They they are a gift to us. They are a blessing to us. They are our legacy. They're what we're going to leave behind on this planet. And it's a God-given gift. I've I've said this now, I think, three three weeks in a row, but those children are not my children. Noah, Nathan, Jensen, and Bethan are not really my kids. I am a steward that God has entrusted with their care. He's, he's, he's entrusted me with that. He's gifted me with children. They're my heritage. It says the fruit of the womb is a reward. Listen to this line. It says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Think about your children, I want you to think about your children as arrows in the hand of a warrior. How many of you know that not all arrows fly straight? You know that those, if you go back to primitive times when they would hand make those arrows, they would test the arrow to see how straight that arrow f- flew? And if it did not fly straight, they would take it to the fire. They wouldn't put it in the fire. They would put it over the, the warm coals, and they would let the, the, the warmth of those coals begin to activate and to, to make that the, the sap in those, those old trees become malleable again, to the point where they could reshape and recraft that arrow to where the point that it would fly. They would work with that arrow over that fire until that arrow would fly straight. What a picture for us as parents. We have to shape our children. I am not, in in this life, willing to allow my children to become whatever they want to become, whatever this world tells them they should become. I am going to shape my children. That's my responsibility. It's my privilege, but it's my responsibility. All too often, and and, and not only that, I want my kids to hit the mark. God has a, 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 I believe this, a very specific calling over every life that enters this planet. The writer in Ecclesiastes says that that the cosmos are are written in the heart of man. That that word cosmos, it it speaks of, of eternity. The world's written on the heart of man. Every life born in this world has an eternal purpose designed by God. There is a God-intended, God-created, God-designed purpose over my, child, my children's lives. God spoke over Jeremiah, first chapter of Jeremiah. He said, I knew you when you were in the womb, and I created you to be a prophet to the nations, to pull down, to cast down, to pluck up, destroy, to build, and to plant. See, that was was God's intended design for the life of Jeremiah. And he would go on to fulfill it. I want my children to go on to fulfill God's intended design for their life. You know what happens all too often? We we take these arrows that God has given us and we just... We blindly shoot them off into this world. We allow the television and the internet and Snapchat and the school kids and the neighborhood kids. Some of y'all are raising kids you don't want your kids to play with. You'll get that on the way home, dad joke. (laughs) I'm not going to allow the school teacher to determine my child's destiny. I'm not gonna allow the television to determine my child's destiny. I'm not gonna allow some neighborhood kid to determine my child's destiny. I am going to steward the child that God has given me so that their life hits the mark. I'm aiming the life of those children. Let me ask you a question. Those of you that have children, have you identified the call of God on their life? Have you spent time in prayer and said, Lord, I think it was Hannah, Trying to remind myself, I I remember in the the scriptures, it was a female. I think it was Hannah who who prayed, Lord, help me to direct this child. Help me to, to discern his path. I think it was Hannah, if I'm not mistaken. She prayed for discernment for her child's life. Have you prayed that prayer over your children? Where are my kids heading, Lord? What have you designed for them? I want my kids... I, I, we, we tell kids lies all the time in our society. You can be anything you want to be, baloney. That's a big load of Codswallop, as my wife would say, that's British. <laughs> my child I, may not ever... They may aspire to be the President of the United States and maybe it won't arrive there. All of my kids... All of my boys at least aspire to be in the NBA. They may not make it there. The odds are stacked against them. You you gotta be six, seven, out of this world athleticism and a work ethic if you're gonna make it to that level. I'm not telling my children that they could be anything they wanna be. You know what I'm telling them? You can be what God intends for you to be. That's what we need to teach our children. We need to teach them to pursue the call of God upon their life, the purpose of God. And I, you know what? I don't care if any of my kids, if none of my kids grow up to be preachers or missionaries, I'm going to be fine with that if God intends for them to do something else. But I've got an inclination about Noah and Nathan and Jensen and Bethan. I can see, by their personalities, by their giftings, by their passions, the call of God on their life, and I'm doing everything that I can to try to help them make the mark. I'm going to come back here in just a second. Let me just, I want to give you some staggering statistics. I could not believe them when I heard them this weekend. First of all, this is staggering. you know the worst attended Sunday of the 52-week year? Father's Day. Historically, it's proven statistically that the worst attended day at church is Father's Day. What a shame. What a shame. Here's some staggering statistics. Households where the mothers bring their children to church, those children are 18% likely to continue being faithful to go to church when they grow up into adulthood. 18%. When a father regularly attends church, 66% of the children go on to regularly attend church. That's, men, why we are called the priest of the home. That's why. It makes a difference what we do. When mom and dad both regularly attend church, 75% of those children go on to regularly attend church. Think about that. Think about that. Let me tell you about a man named Jonathan Edwards. How many of you have ever heard the old preacher of Jonathan Edwards? A 19th century preacher. One of the greatest preachers in American history. He, he preached one of the most famous songs. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. They did research. They say that Jonathan Edwards, not only was he a marvelous preacher, but he, he was a devoted father. Devoutly served, trained, and reared his children. They did research on the descendants of Jonathan Edwards. They studied 1,394 of his descendants. One of them was an American vice president. Three of them were senators. Three of them were governors. Three of them were mayors. 30 of them were judges. 13 were college presidents. 65 were college professors. 100 of them were lawyers. 60 were physicians. 75 of them were military officers 100 of them were preachers or missionaries 60 of them were prominent authors and 80 others were public officials what's the point there's been study after study of this of the blessing of a righteous man upon his descendants and the curse of the unrighteous man upon his descendants what does the Bible say? The Bible says that, that the sins of the father are visited to the fourth and fifth generation. In other words, the consequences, I don't, I, I don't believe that, we won't get into that. In, what it's saying is this, essentially, that, that the consequences of your sin will be, will be felt for four to five generations. You choose to be a drunkard, it's going to affect your children's children's children. be a murder; it's going to affect your great-great-grandkids. That's what the Bible teaches. But on, on the other side of that coin, the Bible says that the children of the righteous are blessed to a thousand generations. Amen. Isn't that awesome? So wickedness, four or five generations, but righteousness, a thousand generations. And I say it all the time that the blessing is greater than the curse. Amen? The blessing is greater than the curse. So I want to give you some guidelines. And and I gave a, last Sunday, I gave a goal or a focus for us as a church when it comes to our student ministries. Talking about uh, our kids ministry, our youth ministry, our 20-somethings ministry, which we're going to activate here pretty soon. We're talking about doing something for our 20-somethings. But the goal, the focus for generational ministry here at the church, here's here's what it's about. We desire to creatively synchronize the home and the church to lay a sure foundation in the life of our children. In other words, we as a church want to work together with families to help them to raise their children. We talked last week about if you are kind of faithful attending church, the church has about 40 opportunities every year to influence your children. Whereas you, as a parent, have 3,000 opportunities every year to influence your children for the gospel. So we have 40 chances as a church to do it, you have 3,000. We want to equip parents to take advantage of those 3,000 opportunities. We're going to do things as a church to help parents. You think about this you've got to get a license to drive a car, you have to have a license to get married. But you don't have to have a license to have children. Isn't that scary? The most daunting, audacious, overwhelming job on planet Earth. Pastoring is a tough job, but I'm more fearful of the job of fathering than I am of pastoring. It's not an easy job. So we need, to, we need to equip parents. We're going we're gonna to have small groups forthcoming where we, we talk about how to disciple children, how to raise children that will follow Jesus. We want to partner together with the family as a church to help the church raise kids who love Jesus. We're going to develop catechisms in our church that will help to lay a biblical foundation in the life of our young people. That no student will will go through our kids' program and and junior high and high school programs and leave here not knowing the books of the Bible and the Ten Commandments and the fruit of the Spirit and the armor of God and the gifts of the Spirit. Amen? Amen? Amen. Bible basics. Who was Jesus? Our kids shouldn't leave this church, graduating high school, going off to college, not having a foundation of who Jesus was. We've got to train them in that. We can't miss it. So let me, let me give you some guidelines. These are guidelines for raising sons and daughters. Guidelines for raising our children. Number one is affirmation. I'm going to talk about two things, three things here. Affirmation, discipline, and protection. Affirmation, discipline, and protection. With affirmation, number one, we need to encourage our children's identity. Encourage your child's identity. I'm not encouraging them. You are a basketball star. I celebrate that. When they do good, I celebrate it. When they do good with construction stuff, I celebrate that. But you know what I'm encouraging? You're a man of God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You need to speak that and declare that. To your children. We need to encourage their identity. Their identity is in Jesus. Encourage that. Build them in that. Help them to understand that. It's not in their stature, it's not in their build, it's not in their skin tone, it's, it's not in their sexuality. The generation's being deceived to find identity and sexuality that is really perversion. Their identity is is in Christ Jesus. And we need to affirm that as parents. Number two, we need to encourage their calling. Encourage their calling. Your your child's call will manifest. You need to encourage it. You need to invest in it. One One of my children was asking for guitar lessons this week. I looked at my wife with just my eyebrows raised. That means yes, let's do it. I want to encourage the call on that. There's a musical calling I want to encourage on that child's life. Number three, we need to affirm their gifts. Affirm gifts. One, One child that I have has compassion. One child has a prophetic gift. Identify the gifts in your children and affirm them. Build them up in those gifts. Encourage them to use those gifts. Celebrate victories. This is how we affirm our kids. Celebrate victories, amen? Amen. Report cards, make a big deal about it when they do well. When they're doing well in sports, make a big deal about it. When 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 they do a kind act for someone, make a big deal about it, celebrate it. This is how we affirm our children. Our children are dying for affirmation today. They're looking for it. That's what Snapchat is all about. They're looking for affirmation. That's what Instagram is. They're they're trying to find affirmation. Gentlemen, if you have daughters, tell them regularly how beautiful they are. Because if you don't do that, they're going to be posting all kinds of pictures looking for that affirmation from other men. Affirm your daughters, Dad. So let's move on. Discipline, discipline. Remember last week, Eli failed to discipline his children. What was the result of that? The glory of God departed from his household because of lack of discipline. Discipline is not about punishment. Coaches discipline their players every single day. Discipline's not always about punishment. So here's some guidelines for discipline. Number one, we need to draw clear lines. We need to draw clear lines. And I've got Bible for all this. I'm I'm, I'm not going to take the time for it, but I got Bible for all this. We'll do it in the, the Discipling Your Children small group. We'll go into the Bible and look at all this. But this is all in the Word. Draw clear lines. Your kids need to know expectations. Your kids need to know the boundaries. Sit down with your children and talk to them about what what is lawful and what is unlawful in your house. Draw clear lines. That's number one. Number two, you need to set not you need not to set moving targets. Do not set moving targets. You heard about the guy who shot the arrow on the side of the barn and then he painted the target around it? (laughs) We do that with our kids all the time, and it confuses them. Don't set moving targets. What does that mean? That means if you say you're going to spank them if they do X, Y, and Z, then spank them when they do X, Y, and Z. If you say you're going to ground them for doing X, Y, and Z, then ground them when they do X, Y, and Z. If we don't follow through when we have, we have promised consequences, we confuse our children and we, 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 uh, we, we multiply in them rebellion. We need to not set moving targets. Do what you say you're going to do, mom and dad. Number three, don't get between your children and their consequences. Helicopter mom. Helicopter dad. Don't get between your children and their consequences. If they get in trouble, let them pay the piper. I heard an, an amazing story. Larry Stocks, he's a, a, a retired pastor now of a great church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, but his, 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 one of his children, uh, when he was uh, gone, gone off to college, he got drunk, was in a car. They got arrested. I think there was some drug paraphernalia or something in the car. They got arrested. His, his, dad, his son called him from jail and said, Dad, come and get me out. He said, no, son, you're going to have to stay there. He said, but Dad, so-and-so's dad already came and got him. Said yes, son, but that's not. I, I'm not so and so's dad. I'm your dad, and I told you what was going to happen. If you ever got put in jail, you were going to stay there. Fast forward a few years. His son learned a lesson. Graduated. He was going to receive the last week of his college life. He was going to receive a special reward in the in the chapel at this college. His son didn't think he was, he had engagements. He didn't think he was gonna be able to make it. His son didn't think he was gonna be there. He was able to get out of those engagements at the last minute, furiously traveled to get to that college, slipped into the back of that chapel as they were presenting the award to his son. And he got to hear the the college president say, this is the best student I've, I've had in my 18 years of this college. He said, when all that was done, the crowd was, was uh, going home, and he had the encounter with his son, and his son, not knowing he was there, saw him burst into tears, runs and embraces him and said, Dad, I'm so glad you were here. What's the point? That young man learned a hard lesson that probably saved his life. You think, well, that's un- unkind of that dad to leave his son in jail like that. No consequences teach our children the most valuable lessons in life. And so don't stand between your children and their consequences. Number four. Number five, don't discipline while you're angry. That would just make sense. Calm down, gather yourself, and then go beat them. (laughs) Just kidding. Do not beat your children. Next one, when you're disciplining, take time to teach. Take time to teach. Why why are you disciplining them? It's gonna take time investment. You're gonna have to turn your favorite television program off and take time to teach your kids. And I think discipline really needs to happen when two things happen, when there's deceit or rebellion, there needs to be some real consequences of discipline whenever there is deceit or rebellion. Do not wink at those things, deceitfulness and rebellion, because if you allow that to fester and grow in your child's life, it'll get out of hand, you'll lose your child. Deal with deceit, deal with rebellion. Lastly is we need to protect our kids. There's a reason we're called guardians. We need to protect our kids. We need to protect our kids, I think, from two things. Number one, bad relationships. It's a pastor that Rachel and I worked with in Texas named Philip Green. He talked about the one time when he was in junior high and he snuck off with his friends to drink and smoke he said, when he got home, he said, my mom didn't ask what I'd been doing. She said, where have you, who, who have you been with? She knew what he'd been doing. It was all over him. But She asked the question, who have you been with? We need to watch who our children are hanging with. It's important. That, that's why we need to get our kids to youth on Wednesday night. It's important that we do that. We have youth camp. Get, get your kids there. Allow them to get around some godly influence, get them around people that are going to have a positive influence. That, that's why it's important. For, for me, we, we are in the middle of making a decision right now. This is our, our, going on our second year here in Indiana. We, we, we thought we were going to live on one side. We started our kids into school. We ended up living on another side of town. We, we, we have to make a decision about where our kids. And, and we are in this battle. I want to make the right decision for my kids. We have always made the decision either to homeschool or put our, our children in Christian schools. Why? Because I want to protect them. And I, I realized that, I, that, 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 hey, eventually things are going to come to their lives. You know what? We, we, for the first time, so we, we put our kids in a school. It, it was a charter school, so it's basically a public school. For the first time this last year, they were in a public school. And my, my children were exposed to some things that they've never seen before. But let me say this, because we have made the investment, you you, you cannot isolate your children, but you can insulate them. How do you insulate? Teaching, training, loving them, affirming them, building them, their their self-esteem and their value to the point when they get around those situations and circumstances, they're not going to bend to it. And so instead of going along with their friends, they stood up and stood out, and they came. You know what they did? They would come home and have conversations with us about those uncomfortable situations that they got into at school. Do you know why? Because that's the kind of culture we have built in our home. That's what we've taught them. We've taught them integrity. We've taught them that they are children of God. We've taught them that they are different, and they can't do what everybody else does. So I realize you can't isolate your children forever, but you can insulate them. This is protecting your children. Protect them from bad relationships. Number two, protect them from dangerous environments. Watch what's on your television in your home, parents. You're setting an environment. Their ears, you think that they're not listening. Their ears are picking up on things. Watch where you take them. Watch what you expose your children to. We have a responsibility. There's an onus upon us to protect our children children. And listen, I understand. Listen, it, it's difficult. This, this is not an easy job. And I am not a perfect dad. I don't ever want to come across like I am. I, I mess it up probably every week. And this is, the, this, again, the scariest, most daunting task that I find in this life is to make sure that my children are raised in the fear, as the Bible says, the fear and the admonition of the Lord. It's not an easy thing. But I want to leave you with some encouragement. I want my wife to come right now. I want to play that that Dave Bell song that you were singing at the end of our worship time together. But I want to leave you with some encouragement. There there are all kinds of things coming at our children. And and last week, listen, I, I made this statement. We believe, we affirm, we value the nuclear family. That's God's design for a husband and wife to live together and raise their children. I, but, I, but I also wanna say this, those of you that are single parents, raising your kids on your own, we value you, we affirm you, your job is more difficult probably than, than the rest of us that are doing it together with our spouses. And I absolutely salute you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing your kids to church. Thank you for doing the best that you can do. We support you. We are on your side. We will help you in any way that we can. Amen? Many of you are facing difficult situations. You're trying to influence your child through Christ, and you've got a husband or a wife at home that's trying to influence them the other way. Let let me give you some hope right here. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14, and I don't have time to teach the whole context. Let's read this. It says, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. What, what's the point of this? Again, I don't have the time to teach the context of this whole thing, but what it's saying is this, that the influence of a believing parent is greater than the influence of an unbelieving parents. Amen. I remember a precious sister in our church. Her name was Reba Perlotti, African-American lady. She, she brought her son Steve faithfully to my junior high Sunday school class and she would stop and we would she would say pastor chad would you pray with me and Stevie this morning she called him steve would you pray with us this morning we'd pray before sunday school class we would pray over her and she would just pour her heart out she said i'm so worried about him his dad. He just sits at home watching monday night football drinking his beard no no desire for the things of god and I'm, a, I'm afraid it's going to influence stevie for the worse and i shared that scripture with her and i said reba Greater is he who is on the inside of you than he that is in your husband right now influencing him. Your influence is greater than your husband's. Just keep bringing Stevie. Keep praying for him. Keep investing in him. Keep pouring into him and watch what happens. Stevie today is a 30-something-year-old man, one of my Facebook friends. He's got to walk with the Lord. I'm here to tell you, parents, that, that yes, the odds are stacked against us. The whole world's coming and attacking this generation and trying to pull them in. But the, the, the power of the mighty one that's on the inside of you is greater than everything that this world can throw at it. Amen. First Samuel, and I'll wrap up with this thought. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 18. Samuel ministered before the Lord. But... Samuel, that butt is a big butt. No pun intended. But Samuel ministered before the Lord. What's, what's important about that butt? You remember Hophni and Phineas that we talked about last week, who were having affairs with the women at the temple, and who were stealing the offerings that were brought to the Lord. In the midst of all that crooked and perverse behavior, Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Now check this out, moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and to bring it with him year by year, even when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. See, she was making provision for his spiritual life. Every year she sewed a new linen ephod and brought it and gave it to her son. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that, you have, that was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, it has this phrase and it says, Shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. That's Samuel. Samuel shined like a bright light in the midst of a crooked and perverse people. Sin abounds. But where sin does abound, God's grace does much more abound. As daunting as the job of parenting is, I thank God for his grace. Amen? Amen. I'm not alone. I've got a great wife. And by the way, if you see any good in our kids, 95% of it is her fault. (laughs) I'll take credit for the other five. But we've got a greater help. The Holy Spirit of God. You know one of the greatest helps that I have in raising my kids, they've got grandparents that pray for them. Let me encourage you, grandparents. The power of prayer. If you've got grandkids, it doesn't matter what it looks like, where they're at. Pray for them. Pray for them. Amen. Let's let's stand together. We're going to make some announcements next week. We've got changes coming when it, in regards to student ministry. We're going to talk, we talked a little bit about last week. We're going to have a transition service next week. We are going to honor our high school and college graduates. If you graduated this year, be, be sure to let us know. We, we actually have a, you won't want to miss out on it, a very nice gift for our graduates. And so if you are graduating from high school or a college right now, let us know. We want to honor you next Sunday. How many of you know it's important that we reach the next generation? Yes. Frank Damasio said that if we win the world and lose our children, we leave the church without a heritage. I refuse to allow Satan to have his way with my kids. Period. Those four kids are going to serve Jesus period there's no options period as for me and my house we will serve the Lord period no ifs ands, buts about it we're going on for Jesus what I want to do is I want to invite you guys to come down to the altar I want to sing this song. I want you to lift your voices. Come on. Don't be shy. Don't be slow. Come on. Come down to this altar. Let's sing this song together, and let's seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. We need grace today. Seek the Lord. We need His power today. Seek the Lord. We need His help today, so seek the Lord. We need His saving power today, so seek the Lord. Some of us need healing in our bodies today. So seek the Lord. Let's seek him this morning. Lord, we seek you. We set our gaze upon you.